Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. I've just returned from a walk with my dog, Sammy. We walked by the goat pasture and Mama and Razzie came running over, bleeding and complaining that I hadn't given them enough carrots to eat this morning. So Clifton has lilac bushes planted along the fence. The goats have reached over and picked off as many of the leaves as they can reach. And the bushes have a number of stems or suckers coming up from the bottom. So I cut them a branch, each a branch with a bunch of leaves, and I give them to them. Oh, those goats were happy. Sam was a bit jealous. Now they'll expect something from me every time we walk by. It's funny. I do these podcasts, and it is like a time machine. They take me back in time, and I remember details about my life that I haven't consciously thought about for years, sometimes decades. I left you last week with a comment that I would tell you about Bob's last carefree, painless morning. Well, let's get going. I'll tell you about that morning and then about what happened to Bob later that day. So, we get back to the hotel after showing them the famous Fontanella San Diazolo. We all shower, they relax up at the nunnery for a while, and then we meet for dinner. Of course, we all eat one of Mario's pizzas and a fine dinner, pastas we had never eaten before. During dinner, we talk of tomorrow's monster day, climbing Pasorole and returning. Renato gives us his sage counsel. Get to bed early, sleep soundly, get up and make sure your bikes are in perfect condition. We leave at nine o'clock sharp. I say to Rick and Ross, Bob and I are driving early to Oslo for breakfast. We'll leave here at 6.15. You guys want to come? We'll eat some of that bread baked in that wood-fired oven. Best bread you can eat. No, they didn't want to go. We have to get everything ready for that climb, says Rick. All right, we hit the bed early. I'm up before six and I pick up Bob and we drive up to Oslo. We walk over to the communal oven. Bob's eyes are as big as saucers. There are about 10 women standing around, sitting, talking. There's a big oven and we can see inside the bread's baking. No fire. There may be 20 loaves of bread inside and the smell, oh my, the smell of smoke, yeast, baking bread. Now we ran into a lovely Italian woman who spoke some broken English and she explains to us what's going on. She tells us that someone had built a fire in the oven about three and a half hours earlier. They let it burn out, they let it burn, then they rake out the coals when it reaches a certain temperature and the ashes, and they clean the hearth with a damp cloth, they shut it up, they let the heat distribute itself around all of the bricks, and then they start baking. She says the hearth is about 600 degrees Fahrenheit when the bread is inside. So 
We asked her if someone would sell us a loaf of bread, and she says, no, any loaf of bread, no, not possible. And she pulls her loaves of bread out. She could see we were disappointed until she says to us with a big smile, here, this is for you, is my bread. It's called pan marino. It's baked with rosemary from my garden. We were dumbstruck. Oh, no, we can't, I said. Bob's kicking me in the leg. She insisted. Remember us in Oslo when you return to La America. Bob said to me softly, Tell her in Italian. She's the most beautiful woman in all of the city. I can't say that. Please, please, Ernesto, do it for me. All right, I'll give it a shot. Signora, il mio amico dice, and I point to Bob, dice, tu sei la donna più bella di tutta questa città. Signore, sei molto gentile. What did you say? I told her what you said. My friend says you're the most beautiful woman in the city. And what did she say? You're most gracious. I told Bob, let her go, man. She's married. So before she left, she told us where to go to have a cup, cappuccino and eat some of her bread. She walks us over to this cafe, says she couldn't stay. And we said goodbye and sat there eating slices of this bread with cheese and some, some slices of salami and some with butter. Bob. If we eat any more, we'll never make it up that mountain. Bob was in heaven. I practically had to drag him back to Castel Cuco. So we got dressed. We all wore our Velo Veneto team jerseys and shorts. I had bought two maps of the region, which turned out to be a very good thing to do. Ron said, I'll follow you up in my car. You're going to go along the Piave River most of the way. Don't forget to eat and drink. Buona fortuna. So off we ride. The first miles were through fields of grain and melons, mostly flat. Then we hit the hills covered with vineyards along the river. They grew Gieda grapes, which were formerly known as Prosecco grapes. And they used them to make the famous sparkling wine of the region. The most prized Prosecco Prosecco Conegliano Valdobbiadene Superiore. It's from grapes grown between Conegliano and Valdobbiadene. So we ride through the town of Valdobbiadene, the center of the most prized vineyards. We rode up hill after hill, and at the top, at the crest, we could see for miles and miles, miles of vineyards and small towns behind them the fearsome Dolomite Mountains, and our challenge, Paso Role, the Role Pass. Boys, I've got a feeling that we're not in Kansas anymore. We rode a quick pace. Ron stopped us a couple of times for group photos. It took a couple of hours to get to the steeper section, and we started working harder. I told them, you guys take your own pace. I'll follow and meet you at the pass. You can buy me a macchiato. The road was narrow, bumpy, and steep. You may have seen photos or films from one of the iconic climbs of the Tour de France or other grand tours. 
The roads go from switchback to switchback, seemingly unending. The road looks like a serpent. You look over the edge and you're above timberline and can see the road below us as it turns and twists. We were still together at this time and we hit the first of a number of tunnels ranging from 50 meters to maybe 400 meters in length. We're working hard. Not a lot of conversation. Hey guys, pay attention to these tunnels. They aren't any fun now, but wait till we're on our way home. Yeah, okay. Soon after that, I was on my own. I suffered for more than an hour getting up there. Finally, I could see the big building, restaurant, and lodge at the crest of the mountain. Thank God, I'm too old for this, I said to myself. So I get there. I get off the bike and go in. I meet Ron and my friends and also a couple of our other teammates. We, of course, had an espresso and some sandwiches. I savored every bite. Bob, that bread we ate this morning, man, that was from heaven. But this sandwich is not far behind. Right on, Ernie. We talked. Not much at the start, but we began to recover. Hey, guys, you remember all those tunnels? Of course. You remember I told you we'd be tunnel blasting? Yeah, what is that? Well, tunnel blasting is we hit those tunnels at good speed. You relax and let your mind go. You look at that tiny piece of light that is the end of the tunnel, and you let your bike find its way there. We'll talk about it when we finish our first tunnel. So, we finish lunch. We look out at the road home. It's a long way down, and there are threatening clouds in the west. They're heading our way. But cyclists are optimistic by nature. We weren't worried. Well, except for Rick. That looks nasty, he said. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. So we used the bathroom, we topped off our water bottles, and we got ready to leave. Ron had one last bit of advice. Now, you men be careful. These roads are narrow. There'll be rocks and sand on them. Don't do anything crazy. Yeah, yeah, they said. We know what we're doing. Seriously, guys, let's get home in one piece, I said to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were off. We saw the first tunnel only seconds before we ran it. One of the longer ones. Oh, the Italians don't believe in wasting electricity in these tunnels. There was a single bulb maybe every 30 meters. So I led this time. And here's a sensation. You enter the tunnel at a very good speed, maybe 40, 45 miles an hour. Immediately, you're in the dark. It is silent except for the sounds of your tires spinning on the road. You pray you won't crash. It is scary. But then, when you don't crash, your senses become hyper. You sense great speed, and you feel as if you are rising in the air, almost flying. Your heart accelerates. Maybe 180 beats per minute. Your breathing is ragged. And then you become calm, almost otherworldly. It seems to take forever, but it also seems to pass in a couple of instants. In real time, we went through that tunnel in less than 20 seconds. The light at the end gets bigger, and suddenly, we're out. 
Oh, you should have heard these grown men. We were like a bunch of kids, wild with delight. Man, that was the greatest feeling. It felt like I was gliding in the sky. And I've never been so afraid in my life and, and so exhilarated. And all of the while, we flew through these switchbacks, hitting the brakes and then accelerating. This was certainly not for the faint of heart. We go through tunnel after tunnel, and each is great. We got through the last tunnel and still had miles of steep, windy, dangerous roads till we got to the bottom. The three of them began challenging each other on the descent. Daredevils, I let them go and kept my own pace. So we hit a long, straight section before a switchback. I could see them ahead of me. Suddenly, a motorcycle appeared, climbing toward them at high speed, nearly out of control. It headed straight at Bob, who swerved to save his life. Fifty miles per hour was too fast to avoid a crash. I saw him hit the ground and slide underneath the guardrail. The side of the mountain was steep. Oh my God, I said to myself. Bob's bike had sailed over the rail and it disappeared. The motorcycle ignored it and screamed past me and past Renato, who was behind me in his van. I rode down, afraid of what I would find. I got there the same time as Ron. Bob had hit hard, skidded across the road and under the guardrail. He'd managed somehow to grab it with one arm and did not fly out into space with his bike. He was hurt, but conscious. Oh man, I hit hard, he said. We had him lay there for a while, about 15 minutes. His helmet was smashed. He had cut some bruises over the left side of his body. Ross and Rick climbed down the mountain to retrieve his bike. It was destroyed, both wheels smashed, the frame nearly broken in two, front fork and handlebars bent beyond any hope of saving. Bob finally sat up. I'm okay. I'm okay, he said. But we knew he wasn't. Ron looked at me. I have to get him to a doctor. Can you fellows get home? Yeah, Ron. I have a map. We'll get home. Don't worry about us. Ron looked at Ross and Rick. And you too. If you do anything crazy, I'm not coming back for you. No, no. We're done with that. We'll be safe. Promise, said Ross. We'll do whatever he says, said Rick. So... They put the remains of Bob's bike in the van and Renato takes off with him. That motorcycle almost killed us all, said Rick. We're lucky Bob wasn't killed, said Ross. I heard it, but didn't see it. Did you see it, he asked me. Yeah, I thought he was a goner. We hadn't been going ten minutes when it started to rain, lightly at first, then harder. Soon the rain was pelting into our faces. We'd put on our rain jackets, but the water ran down our necks. It was everywhere. Not only that rain, but the wind picked up. It gusted, and the temperature dropped. This was a time when I wished I'd taken up some other sport, any other sport. We didn't talk much. We had over 30 miles to go, and we were not making good time. We stopped regularly so I could check my maps. I thought it couldn't get any worse, but when we were about five miles from the hotel, the water began to rise. It was an inch high, then it was above the rims of our wheels, then halfway up our hubs. 
our speed dropped to barely six, seven miles an hour, and it was getting darker and darker. And we had no lights. We'd planned on being home long before this. And we finally get to the hotel, and Ron had only been there about 15 minutes or so. How's Bob? Where is he? Did you bring him home? Is he in the hospital? Poor Renato. We fired question after question at him. Hey, hold on. Not all at once. Okay. No broken bones. Concussion for sure. Maybe some torn cartilage in his knee. Lots of bruises. Lots of pain. Yes, he's here in the hotel. I got him a room here. No, he won't be riding his bike in the next few days. Not any bike. I'm sending him up some soup to his room. And you guys can go up and see him. But be calm. He doesn't need any more excitement. And you don't look too much better yourselves. Say hello to Bob. Get cleaned up and let's have dinner before they close the kitchen. Yes, that's how late it was. Pitch black and we nearly missed dinner. So we knock on Bob's door, go in. He's a mess. Bandages, bruises, eye half closed. Hey man, how are you? We asked. Yeah, silly question. Man, I feel like several big guys have hit me with several big bats all over. I'm glad to see you guys. Did you get that guy on the motorcycle? No, I said. He went flying by me. You guys don't look too good yourselves, Bob said. And he was right. We were still soaking wet, covered with dirt and grime from the road and nearly exhausted. Are you going home now? Asked Ross. Hell no, I paid for these meals and this room, and I'm staying with you guys. He managed to crack a small smile. When I saw that, I figured he'd be okay. Not carefree, but okay. So we cleaned up to eat dinner. We were all beat. I could barely keep my eyes open. We did smile when Ron came up with a plate of sliced sausage. It was from the prize that Rick had won on Sunday. How much is left, Renato? More than you could eat before you leave, he said. Of course, I was up at 6.30 the next morning and down in the cafe for a cup of cappuccino. Renato was there, but no Bob. It was a little sad. I was tempted to get him up, but Ron said, no, let him sleep. So we chatted for a while. It was that time when I realized that my time in Italy was winding down. And I was not happy about that. We go over for breakfast and we're talking about the climb up Pasarole when we see someone walking into the dining room, slowly. It was Bob. What? You guys don't get me up for breakfast anymore? No, man, we thought you wanted to sleep. Sleep? I can sleep in Minneapolis. So Ron wanted to hear all about our impressions of the day. We had all loved the climb, the countryside, but we most loved the tunnel blasting. We, we went right into that first tunnel. I nearly panicked, said Ross. But soon I felt like I was weightless. Even stoic Rick was impressed. I felt like E.T. sitting in that bicycle basket when it took off and flew in front of the moon. Hey, Renato, said Bob. Has the Giro ever raced over Pasorole? He was referring to the great race, the Giro d'Italia one of the three classic stage races, along with the Tour de France and the Vuelta a España. 
Each of these races is 21 days. Of course, it was May 1937 when the Giro d'Italia passed for the first time through the Dolomites. That stage went from Vittorio Veneto to Merano. If you were there, you would have seen the champion Gino Bartali race up and across Passorole. You know, at that time, the road was not paved. It was full of holes and rocks. Now that was cycling at its best, said Renato. He explained that we'd be doing the spinning workout through flat country, told us to get ready by 9.30. We did the same workout that I'd done the year before in preparation for race day. Ron led us as we rode along canals and through flat farmlands. Ross and Rick had never experienced their legs spinning as quickly, never in their lives. On the way home, as we were cooling down, we stopped at a stand on the side of the road, guys selling melons. We had the farmer cut open several of them so we could eat them right there. We stood there next to our bicycles, juice dripping down our faces. Ross said, I've never had such delicious fruit. Ernie, even though strawberries and solvent were no match for these, I haven't been served a piece of fruit here that has not been perfectly ripe. We rode home and met at the lunch table. Renato told us of the races over the weekend. He said he had a suggestion for the afternoon. We could drive down to Piese Pio Decimo, to the factory of Giesegi. They make cycling apparel, jerseys, shorts, jackets, all that stuff. They make my team jerseys and for a number of other professional teams. Now, if you know avid cyclists, you know we love to find different jerseys, especially ones that no one else has. Great idea, let's do it. Even Bob felt well enough for this outing. On the way, Ron explained that the founder of the company, Simone Fracaro, had been a successful professional road and track racer and was a friend of his. And we were like kids in a candy store. I bought jerseys and shorts made for several teams. Chazal, Mercatone Uno, Gelato Gis, and the official jersey of the Soviet Union cycling team, among others. I've worn each of them numerous times, and they still look new, and they fit perfectly. It's crazy. So we all bought stuff. We raced Saturday and then Sunday. The races and results were similar to those of the first weekend, except no one won a sausage. On Sunday afternoon, we rode home through hills covered with vineyards. Bob had come with us as moral support, and he said he was feeling better. Ron said, there's a place I want you to see. He drove to the outskirts of a small town on a hill. There was a large wooden deck built out from the side of the hill. On it were a number of tables. There was a trellis which ran across the whole area. Very pretty place. People were singing, talking, and everyone was drinking. Tonight, you will drink our lovely local Prosecco Superiore. A waiter brought us a chilled bottle of sparkling Prosecco. We drank some. Oh my, said Bob. This is what I needed. We sat there for a while and people came by and toasted us. We toasted them. They introduced themselves. They asked us what we're doing in Conegliano. We told them we had traveled from America just to drink their Prosecco. Oh, we had a good time. We would have stayed, quite possibly, would still 
be there if Renato had not hauled us back into the van. You guys need to eat and you need to pack up. You're leaving early tomorrow. And that was true. We ate our last pizza made by Mario, finished off as much of Rick's sausage as we could, chewed each bite of every dish carefully so that we wouldn't forget it. On Monday morning, I met Ron at the cafe as soon as it opened. Bob was there too. Well, Roberto, Ernesto, I think you have had a fine time. Renato, it was the best, I said. Bob said, I won't forget a single minute. Renato, ever, thank you so much. Ron gave us a big hug. Ernesto, come back. You and your friends are always welcome. So we drove to Munich and flew back to our lives in America. Ron has sold his business. It is smaller now. Renato is still alive and visits sometimes. Castelcuco in the summers. He's an old man now. Although I think about him often, I have not seen Renato since that day. Thanks so much to Anashira for sponsoring these podcasts. Thank you, loyal listeners, for buying Anashira soaps. Halloween is just around the corner. Lots of people send gifts to their friends as treats. Well, join the club. Send your friends, someone you care about, a few bars of our goat milk soap. They'll be surprised about how wonderful it is. Don't forget to use discount code STORIES15, that is STORIES15, for your 15% discount. I have a couple questions here from Diane. I've heard that plain music can help milk production with cows. Have you tried this with Mama? Yeah, I believe that is true with cows. I have not tried it yet while milking Mama. She seems to be content eating and chewing her cud. I don't know how she'd respond to Tom Petty. Diane goes on to ask, how much milk does she give with each milking? Yeah, good question. Now, some milk goats give up to a gallon a day. Mama is a sanin goat. They give less milk. I get up to a quart of milking, maybe half gallon a day. Okay, send your questions to Ernie at Anashira.com. I'll enjoy answering them. Well, I enjoyed that fontanella it's in Diazolo bicyclist fountain so much I fill my water bottles with its water frequently that I bought a painting of it. I have it hanging in our kitchen so that I can look at it every day. Folks, please tune us in next week for the next story from Anashira.